You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for your patience. Thank you so much for being here. We are living in color, and today is one of the first specials that I have, right? I'm so excited about this. We have the 37th district candidate rate, candidate forum here today. And I couldn't think of any, me and O were talking, me and Curtis were talking and they were like, well, who would you want to do this with you? And I couldn't think of doing this with anyone else, but the queen of Converge. Trey Holiday, how are you doing sister? Oh, brother, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. Can you, let's just talk a little bit about community, right? Why do you think the 37th district race is so important? Oh, my goodness. This is um, such a huge district. It represents so many of our families who have had ties to uh, the, the area that the district covers. And as they think about redistricting, it's still so important that, you know, we really have strong representation in the 37th. And we've seen that throughout history, how that plays out is particularly when candidates are really connected to community. They're listening to the voices and the needs of community, and they're taking that into their candidacy and they're taking that to office with them. So this is a really important race for so many folks and even folks who are outside of the 37th pay attention to this race. Right. And it's always been that because usually the 37th really sets the tone to me for the state, right? Yeah. It's the voices of us, the diaspora of yeah. community, right? Yeah. Um, so, so happy to have Amida Smith and Chapalo Street here yeah. today. Yeah, this is really exciting. I yeah. think even for me, because um, I can't vote in this race, right? And so I, I talk about it all the time that I really get to be a spectator and an observer of how, uh, you know, the importance of community voice and community needs are at the center of how people formulate their campaigns. You know, oftentimes folks are saying, look, I'm going to vote for somebody who really embodies the values and the principles that I share. Um, there's something about what they are saying to me and the position that they've either already had in community, how they're explaining their position throughout their campaign, that that's what I'm going to connect with. And I think you're absolutely right when you talk about this being a real center uh, for so many of us. We understand this race as important because of those factors. So I'm really excited for tonight. I'm excited to get into yes. it with Apollo and Amaja. This is going to be a good one. And you know what? I got to say thank you for thinking of me, too. This is really an honor to be with you. Yeah. Um, we live in color well, tonight. I got to thank and, you, yeah, right? Absolutely. I got to thank you. Like, at, at the end of the day, when I look at, like, what Converge has done, right? Um, there's no king without a queen. And what you were doing through that space, you know, um, as your community advocacy work by day, here in the morning, making sure that we got that message, even while you were going through like the burnout, all that, right? But still you rise, right? Still you're here. And I'm just so happy. This has been a week where I've been with every woman from the from Converge, right? And I'm just so happy to be here with you today. Yeah. But I have to ask, right? I want community for those who don't know, right? Can we get familiar with Trey? Aww. Let me interview you real quick. <laughs> who is Trey Holiday? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, it was so beautiful for you to ask that. I, I don't, I'm never on this side of it. So thank you. Uh, you know, for me, you know, I am born and raised in the Central District. I graduated from Garfield High School and I have so many ties here because it is the foundation. When you think about, uh, you know, your first circle of influence for me, that was right here throughout the Central District. It was so many 
many uh, distant cousins, right? We start to call a lot of people cousins just because our, our parents were friends. And, you know, I grew up like that. I grew up with the Central District really raising me. And I always had an affinity for acting, modeling, you know, TV work, theater work. So as a young person, I was like, I'm going to train right? I'm going to train. I'm going to learn the craft. I'm going to hone in on whatever skill I thought I had. Um, and I'm grateful that all of that work throughout, you know, my young adolescent years through throughout high school, doing a bunch of different theater uh, locally and outside of Seattle, doing different commercials and TV shows and all of that, um, that, that media experience um, and expertise and that media acumen, I get to bring right here to converse. I'm really grateful. And trust me, now I'm playing it, but you got a long resume, right? <laughs> just the work that you do in advocacy. And it's just so appreciated. I'm so happy to be sharing. Uh, we live in color because people like you help set the tone. So I'm just, but, but you know what, sis? We got work to do today, right? We got right? work to do tonight. Right. Absolutely. So when we come back, I will be sitting with one of the candidates today, Amijah Smith. You're watching We Live in Color, Candidates Race. COVID-19 hurt my income, my health, and my family. We were about to lose our home when we heard we might be eligible for homeowner assistance funds from the government. We called 1-877-894-HOME, and a housing counselor stepped in, talked to our lender, and saved our home. Federal funding details at WashingtonHalf.org. That's WashingtonHAF.org. Hey guys, Lisa Gordon here, and before heading to Belize, Trey Holiday and I had to make sure we linked up with our good friends over at Market Street Shoes to, of course, grab a few things for the trip. From bags to socks, shoes, sunglasses, earrings, and more, before going on any trip, make sure you stop at Market Street Shoes. Trust me, you'll find just what you need to make your trip not only enjoyable, but fashionable. And we're back. Welcome to We Live in Color. Remember, I forgot to say this because I was so happy Trey was sitting here. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. This is more than just an episode. This is our livelihoods here. You know, policy is so important. So we wanted to do a one-on-one -on -one -on -one first with the candidates before we get down to the nitty-gritty. So I'm so happy to have one of the candidates here, Amida Smith. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Great to be here with you. I'm so happy that you're here. I just I would love for community to know, mm -hmm. why are you running for this position? What's, you. what's your why? Yeah, thank you for asking me that question. You know, I've been doing policy advocacy, really, I feel like since I was a teenager, but definitely in a professional setting and up in Olympia for over 10 years. And I really learned that when we move policy, it's the power of community voice that has made meaningful change in our community. So when the seat came open, I said, well, we need the power of the vote. So how, it's a both in approach. So doing that, knowing that we can create real change, I just, you know, stepped out on faith and said, I'm going to go ahead and make this happen. I believe I have the experience. I have the know-how. I have the expertise. So why not? I want to be a bridge builder for communities that feel like they don't have a voice. They want true representation. Thank you. And speaking of bridge building, right, yeah. you have a history of that. So can you let community know of some of those things that you've done? Thank you. So I just want to say again, I'm Imaja. I'm born and raised here um, in the 37th Legislative District. I'm a mother. I'm a daughter of our district. Um, I'm a fierce education advocate and champion. 
So that some of the wins that I think that I've done over the years, I'm saying over 10 years, right? It's really being engaged in our public education system, really investing there, particularly my children are a product of public schools. I'm a product of public schools. So being on, um, being on committees that have pushed the strategic planning, being on the PTSA and the president at Mercer Middle School, making sure that our kids and our families have what they need, particularly through COVID, whether that's a hotspot, a computer, whether that is just uh, food or uh, helping someone pay their rent. Also, I've had the opportunity, you know, putting myself through college and grad school, quote unquote, learning how to create policy. I've also had the pleasure of getting valuable experience working for King County Equity Now, Children's Alliance, Solid Ground, Odessa Brown. So I say all that to say that I've had the firsthand experience really engaging with community, understanding the needs. So when I think about the things that I've done and participated in, that is bringing in housing investments to our community, going straight to uh, Washington State Finance and Housing Commission, making sure we've got equitable dollars that has brought in low income developments in the CD South End Skyway. Also thinking about the marijuana revenue dollars that we received last session, being part of that community voice that made sure we got 400 million from the government, the governor's supplemental budget. So these are the things of the wins that I've been participating in. Justice reform, making sure bringing down partnerships with judges, lawyers, community members, bringing their voice down there, helping them understand that process of how policy advocacy works on the state level and also teaching them how to effectively communicate. So there's many things that I believe that I've championed, being on the special education task force at Seattle Public Schools, bringing forth those recommendations that have pushed Seattle Public Schools forward. Um, during that strike to hold and save children with um, individual education plans deserve resources and also just fighting at the state level to make sure that our education is fully funded. We have a ways to go, but I've definitely been in the trenches on the front line making it happen. And you said something about trenches, right? Mm -hmm. How do you remain relentless in this in this in this in this fight for equity in our community? How do you how do you keep how do you keep steady in this space? I would say that I have had black advocacy and excellence and family voice. Really, it's been modeled for me over the years as a young person. So knowing I was invested in, in my community and then having the opportunity as a mother and a community member to sit at other tables or bleeders have brought me to the table to say, here, I'm going to show you how we move through policy tables, uh, working with mayors, working with elected officials. Um, and I will also just have to say, just being a descendant of stolen stolen ones brought to stolen land, I believe that my ancestors are the one behind my back, honestly. That's saying that they did it, they made sacrifices, that we can do it too. The 37th is too often has been marginalized from resources, redlining, a lot of policies steeped in racism. You know, we've gotten a short end of the stick, and I'm not saying that's the only district across the uh, state, but definitely it's it's real reality across issues. So when I know this and I want to have healthy communities and I want my children to be healthy, I want my the children around me in the community, my neighbor's kids. It's like it's almost like you have to do it. Yeah. You go out there, you get it, you get your education, you get your job, you bring it back to community so that we can make it better than the way we found it. So our young people have an opportunity and a chance to thrive. And, th and thrive we shall. Yes. Thank you very much for Thank allowing you. me to speak with you today. And <laughs> this forum and, and, and this race is just going to be amazing. And just so happy that you, Chapalo, are a part of this space. Thank, Thank you, you so much. And when we come back, Trey's going to take my seat. I never gave up this seat, but she's going to interview Chapalo Street. You are watching We Live in Color, Kenneth's Forum. Within sports, you learn so many life lessons that will help you be successful in any area that you plan to pursue. 
So I remember being a kid in Spokane and going to camps like this with my friends and just having a blast. And that's really when I fell in love with this game. Hopefully we're doing the same and inspiring some of these kids to keep going on this journey. Especially as a girl growing up, like you see, you see a lot of boys at these camps, but like just seeing like more and more girls start at a younger age, it, it makes me happy. We had to have funding, right? We cannot do this work without the necessary resources available so that our kids can thrive. Without resources, we can't see kids play and play to their potential. How we can ensure that basketball in our communities is sustainable. Funding is a big part of it. I think working with the right groups and this was the opportunity I think that kick-started that and we're really excited about any opportunities to just keep moving it forward. It was just an awesome opportunity to show what this community can do and what basketball energy they can bring. Being able to work with the Seattle Sports Commission, work with the King County Play Equity Coalition, uh, we were able to bring big basketball energy to Tequila Community Center and hopefully use this as a launching point and able to get more funding for them in the future. The kids get to see me, get to see you know, all the rest of the guys who did it all in the area of Washington, Seattle area. So being able to give back to them and uh, let them know that you know they can chase their dreams too. This is a fundamental right of all kids, that they have the right to play, which isn't always available to all of our kids in our communities. We got next to ensure kids always have a place to play, compete, and have fun. Welcome back, everybody, to We Live in Canada in Color, the candidate form. You're right. You don't give up this seat, but I am ready for it. Uh, I'm excited here because as Trey Holiday, you know, I am such a community person uh, here at Converge, but I'm happy that I got to participate in this forum tonight. And joining me right now is Chapalo Street. What's up, Chapalo? Hey, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Can't be better. Yeah. You know, well, I mean. He really set the tone here talking to Amaija. We want to ask you, you know, the why. We want to give you time to make sure people understand why have you put your name in this race? Yeah. I mean, when I look back at my life, I realize that I'm a product of things that people have given back to me. Like, like we are, we're always building on top of what's come before us. And so I've been very fortunate to end up in the tech field. And so I always want to make sure that we bring people along. And so when I came out here, um, I volunteered at a school in South Seattle called TAF, teaching computer science so that more kids that look like us can take advantage of the industry that's changing this region or working with United Way of King County to make sure that we advocate for policies that move our community forward. And so whenever I look to give back, I try and leverage the time I put into it. And what better way to leverage your time put into something than affecting this, the policies and the laws that shape our society. Yeah, it's really important. I think so much of it is, um, as I was sharing before, you know, really listening to community voice. How have you really allowed yourself to be uh, connected to community in a way that allows you to now champion those voices in, of, of community members who say you will now be representing them in the 37th? For sure. So when I give back, I also try and find places where I have unique experience. So when I mentioned that experience with TAF, I realized that that's like computer science and technical training is not something that many of us have. And so really making sure that we can find a place that we can give back. So Trish, who started TAF, um, recruited a few of us from Microsoft to start this computer science program. And so listening to folks and understanding the need that is there and then matching that with my skills. Um, going over to the United Way of King County, that got frustrating because it is a 
organization that is limited by the donors in terms of the policies that we can advocate for. And I didn't think that that necessarily aligned to all of the needs of the community. And so then I went to a, uh, in the program called Institute for Democratic Future, where we train the next generation of democratic leaders across the state. And there I really wanted to make sure that we had equity at the center of that program because we didn't have as many people of color of as fellows um, in the program or on the board making the decisions about who got into the program. And so I think that making sure that community can advocate for itself is really important. And so by making sure that people come into the program that look like us, we will build that capability through our community so that we will get stronger and stronger as we go through over time. Yeah, I, I think when, when I look back at some um, successful candidates who then took on the seat, so much of it was accessibility. You know, how do you see yourself as uh, someone that is accessible to community members so you can hear outside of tech, outside of your lived experience, hear how you can then bring uh, those community voices through when it comes to a bunch of different other topics that you're going to have to cover yep. if you win the seat. Yeah, so for sure. Like, so while tech may be my sort of day job, um, there's other experiences that I have that connect you to various communities within the 37th. So as a professional soccer referee, um, while that is a majority white sport in this, in this area, um, in the organized um, leagues, it is a sport that's enjoyed by any and everyone across the world. And so making sure that other folks could take part in refereeing, um, that created links with the Somali community, that created links with the Hispanic community. Uh, and so making sure that you sort of ingrain yourself with these other communities within the 37th, you create these relationships and these partnerships that open you up to that um, input for what community wants. Yeah, so true, actually. Um, uh, you know, I know we only have a few minutes. I, I got all kinds of questions, for but sure. I, I want to yeah. ask you this. What do you say to the people who say, I don't know who Chipolo is. I, I hadn't seen him out in community or I wasn't sure who he was. Us. What do you say to those folks as you're like, no, I'm going to I'm still going to represent you and I'm going to give you that opportunity to build a relationship with me. How do you take on those questions? Yeah. So to me, when we talk about where someone's from. That's a real question of do they understand what I'm going through? Right. Like and so I answer that in a few different ways. First is. I've been here for 15 years and have, and the volunteer things that I've done to give back have been substantive. So the TAF experience, that was six years. United Way of King County, that was six years. Um, Institute for Democratic Future, that was seven years. So it's not like I have just came to this community yesterday or something like that. Also, I think it's also important to look at where the person came from, right? Like, mm -hmm. is their background reflective of the community they moved into? Like if I had come from the burbs somewhere or like a ranch or a farm, then yeah, maybe I might not understand the community as well. However, I grew up in DC, which is a majority black city and is dealing with or and has dealt with many of the same issues mm -hmm. that this community has dealt with, like the gentrification, the war on drugs, like, it was crazy when I was growing up, just like it was crazy here. And so the familiarity with the many similar issues um, is near and dear to my heart and something that I want to make sure is always moved forward wherever I go. So the combination of where I came from being similar to here and the fact that there are there is examples of me giving back to the community for multiple years, I would say answers that question of like, is he really well? 
does he really care? Does he really understand what we're going through? I think it's so bright for you to be able to find ways to connect. And it sounds like you really are doing that and have done it while you were here. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful that you're here and going to take on community questions tonight throughout this forum. I know uh, Deontay will take good care of you. Make sure <laughs> that you guys have the space you need to really answer these questions appropriately. Thank you so much for being with me right now. Thank you. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness, you guys. We are setting it up for it to be nice and spicy as we get both of the candidates back after this short break. Deontay is going to take them through some of the questions that we have from community. I also want to encourage you, if you have a question out there, put it in the chat. We're going to be trying to work through some of those chat questions as well. So stay tuned, you guys. You're watching We Live in Color. Basically, fam, believe in giving. Like, we have to be willing to give more. And people seem to always think giving means money. But nah, bro. It's like you can give time. You can give understanding. You can give access. You can give a listening ear and an open heart. You can give and share your God-given gifts and talents. But you just got to give. And we're back. I'm so happy to be at this candidates forum and getting to know both of you um, throughout this process. But before we get there, I just want to thank sponsors for this specific event. I want to thank Federal Way Black Collective all the way out in Federal Way throwing support here for the 37th District. I want to thank Seattle Met Metropolitan Urban League, who is right here in the 37th District and has been doing groundwork here for years. Shout out to Michelle Merriweather and her wonderful staff, Jude, um, and others um, that have helped with this event. And, and last but not least, Vocal Washington, an organization um, that assists with low-income community members that may be in, impacted by HIV, substance use, and homelessness um, throughout that space. These three organizations have gathered together to make sure that we have people in this space. So here's a surprise. We have people in this community with lived experience that wanna ask questions and get to know you as candidates because you will be supporting them. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to start that off. Our, uh, start that off by asking one of the first questions from one of our, uh, from one of our community members. And this, this question is for Chipolo. What is your plan for policy change and people that are trying to get housing? So in terms of fixing the housing crisis, this is the number one issue we hear at all doors. Housing is the number one thing. And so I think of this in three buckets. How do we stop harm? How do we um, get more units on the market? And then how do we tie ourselves to the point where those units come on the market? And so stopping harm looks like anti-displacement, like housing prices are crazy and it's displacing families who've been here for generations. We have to make sure that we can pass our homes down through um, our families so we can build generational wealth. Um, we need to increase tenant protections because rent, uh, landlords can do some pretty crazy things. So that looks like lifting the statewide ban on rent control, um, limiting fees that can be charged to tenants, um, providing them some recourse. Like David Hackney has a great bill about how can uh, tenants take their landlords to court if the landlord's trying to do something um, unnecessary. So that would be stop harm right now. In terms of getting more units on the market, we need to invest in low-income housing through the housing trust fund because the private market doesn't build it. They don't make money on it, so they don't build these units, but we desperately need them. We also need to figure out something around workforce housing. Like we just made our teachers go on strike to get a small raise, but even two teachers living together would struggle to afford housing in this area. And then we also need to invest in mass transit. So that gets us towards a greener climate future, but so we can increase transit uh, density around that transit and do it at the statewide level so that we don't just push density into areas pretty much like the 37, the black and brown communities, but everywhere in the state um, takes part in density. And those units won't come online for say five, 10 years, 
we need some measures to get us to that point. So continuing to invest in housing vouchers so that working people can spend, don't have to spend their full paycheck on housing and then also temporary rental assistance so that a short-term hardship doesn't snowball into someone losing their house. Thank you. And before we before we get to you, Maja, I just want to just make sure we had a glitch in the computer. But Scooter is a member of Vocal Washington. Uh, he'll, you'll see Scooter a lot. Scooter is an amazing person and a proud member of Vocal um, that was asking about housing. Uh, Maja, sorry. Yes, I first just want to say that housing, um, everyone deserves housing. I think housing is a human right. And housing, um, in addition to just shelter, people should have a home, a place where they can thrive, a place where they're welcomed. Um, a pace, place where they're safe. I just want to say that as a complex issue, there's uh, multiple layers of how we need to address it. We need to currently keep doing some of the things that we're currently doing, as was already shared, housing vouchers, right? Um, we need to do some tax credits. We have some things for seniors. If you make, I think, 52000 or less for your taxes that you can be exempt. We need to increase that income leverage because two seniors who are retired um, and there's a few of us left in the central district in the 37 um, need to have that opportunity and it should be extended to working families so they don't have to lose their home. I believe in some middle housing, but of course it needs to be equitable across, across the state as well as across the city. The 37th is large and so it shouldn't just be centered right into the most vulnerable uh, areas where there's a lot of low income families. And I do believe that we need to also go to the housing trust fund to release more dollars for home ownership because we are fighting for the dollars and advocating for the dollars to get the low income housing developments. We've had some wins uh, through community advocacy and powerful voice, but we need to have more home ownership opportunities because home ownership, at least in particular for marginalized communities and particularly the black community, that's how we build generational wealth, but that's also how we take care of each other. Because a lot of the issues that are happening that are just that are out of hand, communities have come together and that's across communities of color of taking care of each other, housing people, intergenerational um, homes. I also want to say that the way I move in these issues, because our housing crisis to me was developed by poor policies um, that I think are centered in racial injustice when they were thinking about redlining and things that they were doing, we have to talk to people with the lived experience closest to the issue. So in my leadership, I will have to, I will check in with community first before I make any particular decisions going forward. Um, and then there's a lived experience coalition. There's a local one. There's a state one where we have people who are truly impacted making some of those policy decisions. Um, there's more to come. My, my thing is that um, density without displacement. Yeah. We want to have renters, but we don't want to just have a whole bunch of renters and people then don't really have power. As soon as that the landlord raises the rent and we're displacing again. So that's thank you approach. both for answering that question. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to I actually want to ask the question myself. You know, um, this show, We Live in Color, highlights. Uh, we make sure that we make we're giving we're giving a platform for our community members that are LGBTQ black LGBTQ community members. Again, we are beyond pride. What policy changes will you be making in Olympia for black LGBTQ community members? Again, this is not to take away from anybody else, because when I own be I own who I am and I am black first. Mm -hmm. And there's been so many times where there are 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 grants that come out 
that and then get watered down with BIPOC. And that's not to take away from any of those community members that identify in that space. But I'm talking about me as a black queer person and she as a black trans woman and he as a black trans man. Um, what policy changes will you make for black LGBTQ community members? We'll start with Mike. Again, I definitely want the LGBTQ plus community to, I want to take leadership from the community first and foremost. I don't want to make decisions for a community without hearing their, what their priorities are. So definitely checking in. I am very much aware that when you look at the data and you look at the outcomes, it is black trans women who are mostly unhoused, unemployed, who are murdered and ex experience a lot of violence. That, that makes me sad. Just because of my fictive kin and close relationships, I'm worried about the people who are close to me. Um, when I think about some of the, I think that we should have housing developments. I think that there has been some approaches and advocacies towards that as formerly with the King County um, Equity Now, I remember meeting with the Lavender Project and they were talking about getting some housing that would center the LGBT plus community. I know there's other housing that's going for LGBT plus community for seniors, but we need to do it for community so people really feel safe and feel honored in how they choose to identify. So I want to support policies like that. And oftentimes it's the language. Yeah. We talk, we say it, it says BIPOC and you find out that black and indigenous and most marginalized communities, get the, they don't get the resources. So we have to find the language on the state level, which I believe there is language, historically marginalized, you know, put in a zip code, put in a time frame. So you have to center that particular community. Otherwise it won't make sense. That's what I would want to do. I'm thinking about putting language in a bill and then when it's implemented, it, it has to be really focused on the, those. You can't really focus a group. That's what they say. But it has to be focused in a way that the money really follows. And there's an evaluation that you can check. Did you do what you said that you were going to do? Because once the money is released, whether it's federal or state level, when it gets locally, I think the tracking um, is a little bit. Yeah. A little bit flawed. It could be improved. So that's what I would want to do. I know that the community is asking for it. They're looking for safety around criminal justice issues as well, being targeted um, and just trying to thrive. I, I understand that that is really real. And people, we have to be seen and we have to be honored. And I'm talking about black community. Right. Because everybody's under the umbrella of some racial group. Yeah. So taking leadership, checking in and following what the community is asking me to do. But I'm just saying I, I value people should be safe and thriving where they're at. We should not be ignored. Yes. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Chipala? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, understanding how intersectionality affects outcomes, I think, is really important. And then having that community voice to inform that. So I completely agree with what Maja said in terms of it, you often cannot target a specific community except with like hate crime bills. You can make sure that that does not happen. However, when we understand how intersectionality affects people, I think we can start to impact the folks who are most impacted. So for example, with housing, um, Seattle has a good law where it's the first come first serve. And so a landlord can't say, oh, come look at the house and then put in your application because once they come see who is applying, then they can sort of put the application off to the side and say, oh, we're not letting this person come. And so while that affects everyone, it impacts uh, trans men and trans women more because those implicit and biases from the landlord come into that. Um, so finding ways where those intersectionalities um, impact more. So another example is making PrEP more available um, for the community. Right now, my understanding is that it's mostly available on Capitol Hill. Um, however, as we displace folks from the 37th, 
people are farther and farther away from capital, so they have less and less access to it. And as we don't invest in mass transit, it makes it harder for people to access that. So number one, increasing access to transit would allow people to get to Capitol Hill easier, but we should also increase funding so, so that, that groups like POCAN can provide um, access to PrEP farther from just one central area. And I think those are different ways that by looking at intersectionality, we can get outcomes for these impacted communities. Thank you both for answering that question. Um, the next the next question that I have is, we have dreamers in our community. Um, our dreamers have been impacted by things that have even happened nationally through laws that don't protect them. If once in office, what would you do to make sure our dreamers of all communities um, are protected um, in this community? I assume we're starting with me this time. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. sure. Um, switching off, switching yeah, no off. Worries. So yes, it's not only our dreamers, but anyone who's undocumented. I think a great thing that King County did was making sure that a documentation status isn't taken into account when accessing government services. Um, and not only not taken into account, but if we need it for some reason, it is locked down and not provided to other authorities. Like when you saw Trump took over, he then sort of perverted the, the data that was available and then used that as a weapon to weaponize against these communities um, and our undocumented brothers and sisters who are among us. So like, I think at a statewide level, it would be great to take lead from King County to make sure that we have similar ways to protect data. And that's one of the things that I hope to bring to the legislature with my expertise in technology is making sure that technology continues to open doors for all of us and does not take away our rights. Okay. Thank you. Well, I just want to say that I definitely supported the Dream the Dreamers Act. I was, you know, worked with collectively with One America Votes. I've been endorsed by them, but One America over the years, working with families um, who are pushing uh, the Dream Act. Also, just wanting to share that it's around health care, it's around housing, it's around employment. How do you support if someone's going to be a dreamer and they get access to education, they need to make, be able to get access to employment. They need to have access to um, unemployment, they need to have access to the benefits of their investing into our communities, paying their taxes, things like that. I've advocated with parents with a child, one undocumented, another child born here, making sure we had health care for all our children across the state. So, uh, again, tapping in with community, be partnering with the organizations that dreamers and other folks trust, right? Because it's a trust issue. People are fearful to always share what their status is. Um, when looking for benefits and looking for support and resources. So making sure there's a healthy relationship built there. But I will continue to do what I've already been doing, and that's locking arms and walking because we're families, we're human beings first. And I want my children to be in a community and see their peers, see that they're healthy, see that they're fed, see that they're housed, um, and not so much just worrying about all the time about their status. Because once they're here, they're here. And I I just was raised that somebody's hungry, need a place to stay, then we're going to feed them and we're going to give them a place to stay. So that's my attitude of um, making sure that our families status set aside, have access to advocate in schools for English language learning to make sure that our schools are providing that language um, interpretation and resources so our children are not only accessible and learning what they need to get, but also the families can properly advocate for their children. So that's what I'm doing and will continue to do in this role. Awesome. Thank you. The next question that I have is, is more so about resumes, right? Chapalo, you have a resume of working in the areas of tech, right? 
Um, and community has, there's been somewhat of a pushback in the areas of like, and, and Trey kind of touched on this a little bit more. So can you elaborate a little bit more on how tech, tech and policy change kind of go hand in hand um, in the areas of the work that you've done? Yes. If then, do you understand what I'm asking? If you would go a little deeper, yeah. yeah. Well, it's just more so um, people see what, well, when the, the articles have came out about you, right? Mm -hmm. They've been specifically geared towards like, oh, he worked at Microsoft, yep. but never really any like community engagement. Um, can you elaborate on some of your resume work that you have done around within community? Sure, and I think it's a sad statement that the black community isn't more involved in technology, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and that is part of the reason why it is not as acknowledged or understood. So if you went to TAF um, and took that class and you understand it, and when I'm outdoor belling and you meet someone like, oh, my kid went to TAF, they love that. Like That is very gratifying, but to me, it's a sort of a statement of where we are in a point of time where we don't have technology integrated into many of our community organizations, and that is a shame. Um, and so fixing that digital divide is very important to me. And because I realize that's how I've gotten to where I am. Like. I would have been able to afford my houses. I don't know how anyone's able to afford houses if they don't work in tech. And I want to make sure that folks that look like us are able to take part in this industry. So giving back in tech. Um, we also, I also mentioned United Way of King County. Like, for example, you just mentioned Dreamers and Amaja rightly brought up um, dual language access, advocating this is before we had funding for that. We advocated for a dual language access pilot program. Um, and so those are examples of how the work that I've done directly impacts community and in some ways is a sad and hopefully point in time um, commentary on where we want to get our community to because we want to make sure the tech is available throughout our community and it's not something that we are left out of. Yeah, thank you. Of course. I, I just want to share that. Oh, were you asking a different question? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> may, I, may I share something? Yes, absolutely. I just want to share that I really feel the deepest difference between me and Chapalo is our depth of community engagement um, in our depth, I just feel like my depth of policy advocacy and experience in connecting with community across this district, like every corner, um, my experience is really deep. I do want to highlight that, you know, my daughter, when she was in fifth grade, my adult daughter went to TAF, right, to both the locations. I have a relationship with staff and the people at TAF to this very day from Trish on down. And um, engagement to me is like you might meet the families, but are you connecting with the resources outside of just that school, you know, out in, into the school? TAP has brought, come into Seattle Public Schools to bring math into the middle school. Like I've stayed along that process with the organization just last a couple of weekends ago, just gave a presentation at the TAF uh, network around, um, you know, the injustices and addressing racism in our education um, arenas. So having that relationship, it started with me and my daughter was 10 years old just going to TAF and being connected. And, you know, I probably missed some years, but I never connected or met you. I just met you through this, through this race, right? So um, just want to say that my level of connection in this community is reaches far and wide yes. around multiple issues. And I've never disagreed, like, that yeah. Amaja's done a lot of great things in the community. Yeah. Like, what I would point out there is, like, so while you've done presentations with TAF, and that is, there's no denigration to this, like, building a computer science program from intro all the way up to advanced placement is a very deep and specific thing. And so mm -hmm. you may not have had an opportunity to interact in that way. So like 
just because my experience is deep and long, so six, seven years is a long time. Um, while you have a relationship with Taft as well, um, it is in a more broad sense. I don't want to mischaracterize those yeah, things. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's broad. Okay, so like- I'll name staff. For sure. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, so, yeah. so, yeah. so, so great, y'all. Um, so my next question is for you, Amisha. Um, there, it's been said, right? Um, like you have, you do have a strong um, relationship with community, but it's also been said that it's been just one-sided. Like it's just specifically geared towards one diaspora of community, um, and there's been pushback in that in that in that space. What do you say to those community members um, that to say that? And is there a resume with you working with the diaspora of all community of uh, the 37th district? I believe there is a resume, to be honest. I, I appreciate people saying that because when every space I go into, you know how you can go on an airplane, you got to put your mask on first. And when you look at the data, the inequities and disproportionality, you see black African-Americans from criminal justice, education, health outcomes. So to me, it only makes sense that this is my community. I need to take care of home and make sure that we're included. And we just shared conversation around when there's resources that go out and we say BIPOC, you still see that black and indigenous folks aren't quite getting the resources. So I'm just trying to be another voice to make sure that that pe that our community is seen. And even those who aren't seen are, are um, acknowledged right in this fight. So as I sit on the King County uh, co uh, community collaborative right now. Those dollars, 25 million to be put back into the community from COVID dollars, federal COVID dollars. We are targeting black and indigenous. So I have lots of relationships across multiple um, backgrounds. So when I think about One America and One America Vote, they solely endorse me. I'm mainly working with the indigenous community, immigrant and refugee community. I'm not really working with the black folks in that space. But when I'm in that space and we are locked arms moving policy, I just make sure people understand that what a black experience is like and how we have to work in solidarity in a collective way. When I think of CSEC, I think of other people across uh, this, the issues, it's the full from Chinese American, all the backgrounds. When I look at, when I think about education, it's for all of our children. When I think about healthcare, those were Latino families that I was walking with, Latino youth, because I'm a citizen here. My community is, we gonna get access to Apple Health, but the other communities are gonna have a little bit of a harder time. So COFA nations, the Marshall Islands, the Micronesians, I was locked arms with them to make sure that their community got not only food benefits, but also healthcare because their compact of free association in 1997 was taken away from the federal government. But although they said they were told they could come here, live and be educated, they cut the benefits. So Washington state had to provide uh, resources for them. And then Washington state was thinking about during our recession, we're gonna cut that. That wasn't for my community. But if you ask Gigi Jolly and you ask the Marshallese community who was locked arms with them, they will say Imaja Smith. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Chapalo, since she responded to yours, would you like to respond to that? Oh, no, that's fine. Like, <laughs> you fine? Okay. <laughs> yeah. hey, all right. Thank you for that. No, no, I just <laughs> want to make sure, you know, um, Nick Fair up here. Thank you both um, for answering those questions. And when we come back, Trey will have a seat. You're watching We Live in Color, Candidates Forum. Welcome back, everybody, to We Live in Color. I'm your guest co-host today, Trey Holiday, for this amazing 37 District Candidate Forum. Uh, so we want to welcome you all back here. Uh, you know, first round of questions. I saw some, some laughter. That's always a good thing between candidates, but also they were really setting a foundation. We have a, a, a video. Uh, first question coming in from a member of Vocal Washington. 
Hi, my name is Michael Jackson. I'm a member of Vocal Washington. And I want to know, what is your policy on helping African-Americans in this country get ahead in education and job training to get us off the streets and to help us get into housing and further our education so we can be part of the second class? Great question there. Well, yeah, it, it was a little bit low, but basically what he was saying was, you know, what are your policies to really help folks when it comes to education, uh, housing? He had a kind of a, a litany of things. It's like a, how are you really helping people get up um, that are in certain economic situations or economic disparity? I'll start with you, Amasha. Thank you. I think it's a wonderful question because we have to have our basic needs met. So my priorities are those basic needs, really champion education, fully funding that for our youth, making sure there's access points after graduation and eliminating those uh, traps, booby traps that are set up that send our children to the prison pipeline. And oftentimes those are our youth with individual education plans and oftentimes youth who are in foster care that the top, of, they're disproportionate in prison right now, people who either on special, receive special education services or came out of foster, foster care. Um, another um, piece of that is housing, healthcare, health equity is huge. Um, we're still coming out of COVID. Um, Black and indigenous community did not fare well with resources. Our businesses really just felt a huge brunt in all of that. So I think about when I think about healthy families and healthy communities, again, housing, healthcare, education, and really thinking about our justice reform. The things that I wanted, we have to do, we need more progressive revenue at the end of the day. We have to change our tax system. We're the worst in the country. Um, it's in our constitution. We've had multiple initiatives uh, for people to vote so we can have a state income tax. We voted those things down. I think because everybody across the board is really feeling the impact of inflation, really feeling the impact of like what food costs and medications. I think more of us will be willing to go ahead and push a little harder on our elected officials to, you know, incorporate a wealth tax, right? We can bring money in. So that's first and foremost, that can then address all the other issues, right? Um, when I think about education, I've been as a PTSA president, helping people build partnerships, helping us come together and collaborate, how we support each other to make sure our kids are getting the best that they, they need. They just did the MAP test in middle school, at least at my school, every single seventh, I mean, eighth grader are not meeting standard. Mm -hmm. And I think that has to do with the, what happened during our COVID years, our COVID time. So we have to all pitch in and put our hands together. So I'm really supporting the trades and apprenticeship opportunities for our high school graduates when they come out, making sure we're gonna support and put the revenue in for our college bound scholarships and for our promise programs to so making sure college is accessible. I really would love to see more investments in small business investments so our young people could learn that because micro businesses to me seem to be a, the way to go kind of like globally and to connect with the global economy. He asked so many questions, there's so much to do. Mm -hmm. I also wanna make sure like there's a college bound scholarship, right? That's for people with the lowest income to get state money but they're telling our youth, if you get a felony by the time you graduate and you need a 2.7, you cannot access those funds. Well, if our brain science is saying that the brain is not fully developed, at least till age 25, we are setting up our most vulnerable youth. We're setting them up for failure and we're setting them up for the prison pipeline. So things like that is what I want to tweak around language to make um, education accessible, because I do truly believe it is the pathway to change our circumstances. But if we are not intentional about 
um, making sure the most vulnerable have an opportunity and have access, we are just going to send them to the pipeline of prison. And the prisons need more investments as well in terms of mental health resources, reentry programs for those who are coming out. We want to make sure people are succeeding and being productive in our community, not just floundering in, in recidivism and going back. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now I'll pose the same question to you, Chapalo. When you think about, yeah, he asks a lot, but it's kind of a litany around education and housing justice and economic reform. What do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, so many things are connected and you can't go to school if you're you're housing insecure, if you're always just moving from house to house to house, like you can't have any consistency in your schooling. You can't even concentrate on it because you're just trying to figure out where you're going to uh, go next. So making sure that we have, have housing, we sort of touched on that last segment. So for me, it's um, how do we stop harm? How do we get more units on the market and how do we tie ourselves there? Um, but once we talk about education, we have to start with early education because we can fund as much as we want in K through 12. But if we don't prepare our kids to come in and be ready to learn, then it alls for naught. So I'm really glad that we have our capital gains tax. We have to make sure that that gets upheld in the Supreme Court because that's allowing, I think, people who are making up to $51,000 to have subsidized early education um, and culturally relevant education as well so that we understand the skills that all of our kids bring to the table. Um, so I'm glad that we have our early education funding. Um, we need to do a better job of fully funding education, like McCleary fully funded education, but did left a lot of special ed students behind. Um, one of the things we can do at the statewide level to change that is change the reimbursement rate, which currently um, shortchanges Seattle Public Schools $100 million. So if we change that statewide, we'd bring in a ton of money to help some of the most vulnerable kids in our education system. Once we get to junior high and high school, like. I was a, I'm a product of STEM and tech. I really would like to see a better job of STEM and tech in this region. Like we have a ton of resources. We should do a much better job of public private partnerships to make sure that um, everyone's available and ready to go into tech. Like we just tested and let more than 50% of our kids aren't proficient in math and science. And that's scary for tech, but it's also scary for the trades. Like for too long, the trades have sort of been denigrated as, oh, you wanted those trades because like you couldn't hack college. It's like, no, maybe I just like to work with my hands or want a job that doesn't get offshore or something like that. Like the trades are a very respected uh, route that we should make a, as an option for kids to go into. I don't want to track them into the trades, just not like, like I don't want to track them into tech, but they should be options that all of our kids have. And then once we get to post-secondary uh, post education, Free four-year college, that's great. We should definitely shoot for that. However, we need to start with free two-year college because that helps those communities that have been most underserved. Yeah, I mean, well, this is, you know, a, a big topic for us here at Converge when we talk about education. We've talked about education gaps and how Seattle Public Schools has been failing um, black students in particular and even more particular black male students. We see the data come out all the time in terms of, you know, public schools and are they really serving our youth? And so I have a question about uh, alternatives. Right. And, and I'll give you an example. My son, um, my youngest son is in like a homeschool school co-op, but he is in third grade. He is reading at a seventh grade level. He has uh, gone through a mastery approach in the last three years with culturally relevant enrichment activities that have really allowed him to grow as a young black boy and see himself in that pride. Um, and it's something that my older son 
didn't quite get to experience in public school, right? However, he did well. He Public school was fine for him. But I think uh, I'm a parent who says, I'm always looking for alternatives. What do you guys say in terms of education alternatives? We know Washington Charter Schools is one. There's a lot of work that needs to be done there on the policy side. But we also have these amazing kind of micro schools that we're not able to yet do here that are working wonders across the country, really modeling freedom schools of the roaring towns of the 20s and before that. Um, and, and also we have these homeschool co-ops that are saying, parents are saying, I need an alternative because I really want to give my child, my scholar, my student a leg up that I'm just not seeing in public schools right now. What do you guys say to some of these alternatives? I'll start with you, Chapala. Sure. So congrats. It sounds like your son's doing amazing. And while that's a, like that's great, it sort of hurts me because you are paying a tax in your time in terms of homeschooling them. And like, if you send your kid to private school, you're paying a tax in money because you're not going to taking advantage of the public system that we have. And so I want to make sure that our public system is fully funded so that we can't, we have the resources for kids, but we should also be innovative in watching what is happening in the sort of broader space of education, be it homeschooling co-ops or in charter schools, so that we can bring that back into the public school system so that everyone can take part in that. Because for so often, especially the most underserved folks, like the parents are just trying to figure out how they're going to like go to work and maybe working two jobs and don't have the opportunity of putting in time into their extra time into their kids or going to find the best charter school for them or taking them to and from charter schools. So making sure that we have the best public education in neighborhoods so that every kid has a great um, chance for education is deeply important to me. And so to me, it's really building around that public education center, but then like schools like TAF, which is privately funded, but public, um, ex publicly accessible. To me, that is a great model where you have a space to innovate, but it does not take away resources from the rest of the public infrastructure. Mm, mm, so money is still staying in, in, in families. Exactly. Pockets. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, money and time. Yes. Yeah. Time is money. It's true. Absolutely. Amaja. <clears throat> yeah. I would say that, um, every education system that I, that's like public education, private education charter, they're all, they all need some rehauling. I just want to say that I, I looked at every system to hold it accountable because historically, when you think about black and indigenous children in our schools, they never really meant to serve them. Right. So we have to do all that we can. I, I, I need to give Seattle Public Schools some level of credit with the current leadership because I have seen some of the movement that they've made. So one of my sole endorser, Rep. Jesse Johnson, um, put a committee together or some legislation around a pilot at the state level with OSPI around looking at African-American history, looking at ethnic studies, looking at all the things that should be in the school so that our students see themselves, see themselves as contributors um, to our community. And so as a result of that, I have seen Seattle Public Schools offer these classes of black history, uh, ethnic studies, what have you, and use those classes to be um, Count it as one of your graduating credits. That's a that's a that's a big lift. So I don't want to knock Seattle Public Schools. They I was part of their strategic planning process that really has the current uh, strategic plan, uh, looking at resourcing those furthers from educational justice and focusing on black males. So it's it's the system needs to be transformed, and there's a whole lot of work that needs to happen. Me as a parent, as a as a staunch advocate for my children's education, but as well as my little cousins and you know, my family members and my next door neighbors, right? People come to me and ask me questions all the time, how to navigate, particularly in Seattle public schools. And what I find is that you have to supplement. 
I've looked at education as, okay, I need to get their basic literacy through this department because this is where I want to invest. Because as soon as we do step out, it does harm whoever feels like they have to stay there, right? Um, but supplement has been huge. And so as a convener, a co-convener of the Black Community Impact Alliance, really working through, through three mayors, and it came from the Black Lives Matters, wake of George Floyd, we were um, able to get the, the grand opening of the William Gross uh, Center and culture, of culture, cultural innovation. I'm stuttering, wow. Um, and so that's a hub that's gonna bring in those education uh, opportunities. That's a hub that's gonna bring in our tech and STEM opportunities. Like we have to figure out not the partnerships, which there are some partnerships with Seattle Public Schools and outside orgs, but how do we make a culture relevant? We get it for ourselves. We as community, whatever community that you're representing, you bring it in and we advocate for the resources to build it because that system, in the meantime, while we're waiting for Seattle public schools or charter schools or whatever school to get it together, that model, private schools to get it together, our children are still floundering. Our children are still being left behind. So it's always a both-end approach. I want our public school system to work. That's why I advocate for all we can in those schools from restorative justice, school counselors, the nurses, all that we need, mental health investments in our schools, because there are some parents who need that structure as a resource. But you have to figure out what works best for you. And so even with the homeschooling, it is still a cost out of some people's pockets, right? It's not as simple in Washington State as, as I think. And I think of Black Star Line as a great model for homeschooling, especially um, centering cultural relevancy, but you still got to know how to navigate that. And oftentimes families need support in navigating all the systems. So there's accountability across the board. I think we just keep sharing and talking like where you're taking your children, one thriving in public schools, one doing way better outside of the public schools. How do we share that? And then how do we get hopefully the public schools to move more quickly, right? In time to do it. It's not, it's not that simple, especially when you're, if you're a descendant of stolen ones. When we were being killed and violence was put upon us just to learn how to read, that system to me is still set up in that kind of way. If we still have gaps that send our children to prison and they're being over-disciplined, we have a ways to go. So it's not a quick fix. It is complex. But in the meantime, as families, we better figure it out and navigate it and, find, and supplement as best we can with, with the limited or vast resources we have. Just go do it. Yeah. Yeah. Supplementation is key. Um, I hear that. You know, when we think about, uh, you know, COVID, we've been talking about it a little bit here in terms mm-hmm. of impact on families, businesses, communities. Um, we also know that there are tons of, you know, federal funding that's been flooding into cities and states across the country. Um, when you think about some of those funds needing to really hit the most uh, affected uh, community members and families, this right here is a huge opportunity, I think, for uh, any candidate who's running to, to think about how they're going to to take uh, their seat uh, in the 37th district and, and really understand how to allocate for those dollars to be coming into the district. Tell me a bit about how you guys think about some of these ARPA funds and other, there's a lot of other funds out there. I think a lot of people are like, we need to follow the money. Um, the money's getting out of control or it's getting outsourced. And oftentimes it's not hitting black communities in particular. And I know for me, that's a big deal. Uh, Amijah, what do you say to you know, those who are saying we need to follow the money, we need candidates uh, in that position, we need representatives who are really bringing those dollars back to our community. I first and foremost want to say, again, I sit on King County's uh, 
racism is a public health crisis. There's a, a gathering collaborative when the ARPA funds came down to King County to look at quote unquote, a cold design of how we want to use the money. So there was um, 25 million that was allocated for a cold design. So I've been part of that process. It's been quite a few months now um, looking at a cold design, how to do it. I think that's what elected officials, they need to stay in place and follow that money. They need to respect that communities deserve a voice at the table. That's the type of leadership that, that I practice. And that's the type of leadership I will continue in an elected position to sit down and make sure we're valuing the voice because we've already learned what happened in the international district when the community did not feel heard with regard to bringing in that uh, homeless shelter situation. We need, we need more housing and more shelter when people are um, gonna be in really adverse weather. But if the community saying is enough is enough and you didn't talk to us and you didn't help co-design, we are gonna speak loud and proud. That still needs to happen following ARPA and COVID dollars. It didn't, um, I, I feel some kind of way about how this money did not reach a black and indigenous communities. I really do. So I've been just staying at the table um, in my role to follow what the process is looking like, mm -hmm. to keep reminding those who are making those decisions we're in this focus for black and indigenous, are we going to center, you know, uh, racial um, racial advancement and racial equity in this process? You have to just stay there along the process. I will continue to do that because otherwise you, you take your eyes off of it for a second. Next thing you know, it's down the road somewhere, somewhere. And we don't know what happened to the money. And it's only 25 million. I mean, I think it was about 265. Mm -hmm. It's only this 25. So we also have to advocate for more. We have to keep the pressure, you, you have to continue to educate yourself. Um, I feel like the city of Seattle with the jumpstart was listening to community to, you know, could have listened more, but saying, how are we gonna get this money out quicker? If people can pay some bills and pay some childcare. That was very helpful, but we still have to follow like who actually got it. When there was an RFP, who did you really get it to? Was there a balance? As an elected official and as a leader, we should be asking those questions because we got to report that back to community. I would have to be just as accountable in my role, even if I'm not the decision maker in that, I need to be accountable to, you guys should hold me accountable and our elected officials accountable. Did you go look? Who'd you tap in with? Otherwise, what are we doing this for, mm -hmm. right? Our, we cannot let our communities just suffer and the resources are there. Got to get a hold of those and <laughs> hold on. Yeah. That's my approach and my thought process, yes. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, Chapalo, same question to you in terms of these federal dollars coming in. How, how would you look at, you know, following these dollars? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree that we have to make sure that funds are set aside and dis distributed proportionally to communities so that one community doesn't get left out. But we also have to make it as easy as possible to access these funds. Like I've helped people access um, rental assistance and it was hard for myself as an English speaker to like figure out where to go and like who needs to talk to who and what's happening. Like I can't imagine what that's like for someone where English isn't their first language. So making sure that if there is every step that is required to get access to these funds is necessary, that all these steps are translated into different languages so that it is more accessible for folks. And then just telling people and getting the word out to the community about how and where these dollars are, I think is really important. Making sure that it goes to individuals, making sure that it goes to businesses as well. Cause like individuals aren't the only ones getting displaced from the 37th, it's also businesses. And like, that's why people wanna come here cause we have such a vibrant community. And it's like the small businesses, especially for like immigrants and refugees, like 
Homeownership is one way of building wealth. So is the small business. Like that is often the way that people pay the bills and pass down um, some generational wealth. And so making sure that it not only goes to people directly, like direct payments is great because that's the easiest, right? But then how do you just make sure that every other form of payment is as easy as possible and as, as accessible as possible to go to individuals and small businesses? Because Lord knows like the big businesses who have lobbyists, they made sure it was very easy. They got direct deposits right into their bank accounts, whether it helped them save jobs or not. Um, and so we need to make sure that we are the lobbyists for the people. Yeah, it's important. I think that that's that's for me as a informed and engaged voter. That's what I'm always looking for in a candidate. Like, are you tapping in with what I need? Right. Because you got a lot of people around you telling you what to tap into. But are you really tapping into the people? Uh, lastly, for me, before I pass it back over to Deontay, I really want to ask about the fact that. In the 37th district, there are amazing community-based organizations who are crafting solutions at the ground level, community level, that really just need to be either more resource, they need capacity dollars, they need to be scaled up. The ideas of so much of what you all are talking about, whether it's um, housing justice or education, you mentioned Black Star Line, or if it's around economic development, you know, we got businesses um, and community-based organizations that are funneling money into businesses, funneling opportunities into businesses. What do you all say in terms of how you would take uh, the state rep position for the 37th and really connect with those community-based organizations to help their solutions get scaled up so that now they're really being felt all throughout the 37th? I'll start with you, Chapalo. Sure. I mean, I think a great way. So Folks like us, I think we all agree that this is very important. And then the question becomes, how do we make this case to other people? And so coming from tech, everyone loves incubators. They're like, oh my God, there's like Y Combinator, there's all these other things. It started this company, it started that company. And showing those parallels about, hey, these are the supports that these, um, that these, these incubators give businesses and showing how we can do that at a small business, whether it be restaurants or like a small business for housing and things like that. And drawing those parallels, I think is really important and then showing why that is important to fund those. And so we have examples of success, not just showing how it's been successful in tech, but how it's been successful here locally with small businesses and then making that case to others so that we can fully fund those programs. Yeah, it's true. You're right about the incubators. A lot of people love that. Uh, Amaja, same question to you in terms of, you know, amazing solutions. We're talking about, you know, I, I won't name all these amazing organizations, but we know when it comes to justice reform, housing, you know, business development, tell us how you connect uh, with all those solutions and scale them up in the if you're awarded the seat. Yeah, just as someone who's been really connected with justice reform work, thinking about from the state level, like, uh, making sure the interest rates were reduced, if not eliminated for those who, you know, had to pay restitution, right? Or have to have LFOs, which are legal financial obligations. Thinking about working with organizations that can really help someone move through that process. Um, working with organizations, I mean, education, healthcare, I'm on the board of the Tubman um, Center for Health and Freedom, really walking alongside. You have to be, you have to be part of the process in the beginning or if you jump in, you have to move along the process with an organization with these great solutions and then help them connect on the state level or to the resources, whether that is support with expertise, like you're saying, how to apply, you know, moving through that process with the uh, Department of Commerce. That's a very convoluted application process to get capital. But I've had that experience with the Tubman Center and um, also thinking about education. You, I just feel like when you have a real relationship, 
that means you're there, you're, you're present, you're going to the events, you're talking to the people. I have that level of experience, but I also have that level of experience of having the idea that's really great for the solution, excuse me, taking that to an elected official saying, I need you to create a bill or move a bill. And then talking about the language that needs to go in the bill that makes it meaningful back into our district, but meaningful for working class people, low income people, marginalized communities, so it can really work. And then seeing that implementation with the partnership of whatever institution it is. If it's food benefits, we need to be talking to DSHS to make sure that people don't get cut off of their current benefits while you guys are fixing a new program. If it's healthcare, the same thing. When the Copa Nation were able to get their healthcare in the state, we have to work with the healthcare authority to make sure they're implemented in the right way and getting navigators to talk to their communities in the language that they understand. So it is being part of the community, really hearing the stories, really resonating, building the trust and then taking it in a way that you implement it, they should be there with you, alongside with you, talking about how they wanna see it move, checking back in, having conversation, making sure am I doing this correctly? Am I representing well here? And then let's make sure it works because funds could be allocated, but if it's not done in a way that the people understand it and it's not impacting them, it doesn't work. So when I started with that example of legal financial obligations, when the the interest was reduced and even eliminated. I was part of a coalition of folks working on that. I'm tapping in with people who are currently incarcerated or who are actually out so that they don't have to go back because they didn't pay a fine. Also understanding that most of the money don't even go to restitution to a victim. It goes to paying court fees. How do we shift that to go back to the victims who were, who were felt the harm and make sure that happens correctly? But the only way you could go back to even reduce it to keep yourself from going back, you have to say certain words. You have to be able to fill out the, the motion to ask for that to be released. That was like the first stage of it. Then we have to go back and keep designing so that wouldn't be such a challenge to, to reduce those fees because interest rates are high, high. It hurts your credit. You're trying to get out to get a job, try to get a, some housing. You can't. You're just going to be you're going to be flopping around, possibly going back inside because you can't survive and you're trying to do the right thing. So I say all this to say there are some amazing groups out there. And the wins have come because our, our voice has been strong. But you have to connect with the leader who also understands what those triumphs, what those hardships are, what those barriers are, so that they can try to cut that red tape for you, for the organizations to get that money. And also we need to show how our great organizations in the community are doing such great work, how they're showing that they're worthy of that, bring that data forward so that those who have the resources, they have to be shamed for not providing and giving those resources because we've been fighting for, for generations. And why do we have to keep doing that if we all want the same common good of our youth to have an opportunity for our generations to have an opportunity for our future to be brighter? That's 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 how I feel it. That's how I live it. That's how I walk it. That's that's the way I think it should be. That's why I, in this role that I'm stepping into, there's no money in this. Right. It has to be for the people. It got to be hard work because we know that we need real change. Our democracy is being attacked. Like I said, the inflation, people are just, our people are struggling. Our community is feeling unsafe. We need somebody that's really gonna press, be, be courageous and unafraid, and that's me. Thank you. Well, thank you both so much for allowing me to come with uh, some questions that I had. I think it's so important that, you know, uh, voters be informed. That's what this is about. So I really wanna thank you for that.
Uh, coming up, you guys, Deontay is taking back his throne. Uh, we have a few more questions for all of you to listen to these amazing candidates and make sure that you are also being informed as a voter. Stay tuned, you guys. You're watching We Live in Color Candidate Forum. And we're back here with We Live in Color Candidate Forum. I'm so happy to have y'all here. Thank y'all so much. We have to get this out to the community. And anybody that's watching, keep on subscribing right in the chat. People need to know where we're at and people need to hear what's going to happen in their community come November, come January, right? Um, but in the meantime, we still have some more questions for Vocal Wild members. Let's go ahead and play that clip. Um, what is the uh, policy change for people that uh, are having babies and uh, CPS is, uh, is intervening and taking their children? Um, how do they get them back? Like, how, what steps do they uh, go through to get them back? How do they, how do they even maintain without their children? Like, it's, it's kind of hard being without being out with your child. So, my question is, like, what, what, what steps do they take to even um, to get back their children? I appreciate Scooter for that question. Um, talking about uh, the impacts of CPS and foster care when it comes to community members. But of course, here at We Live in Color, we're talking about our, our community members of color. Oh, really? Start with Chapalo. Sure. So I'd say it's even more than just foster care. It's also kinship care and making sure that if CPS gets involved, then we have first we try and place the kid with a family member, because while I think foster care should be a last resort, because keeping them closer to the family unit will have a better outcome for that child. But not only placing them in the family, but then making sure that that family member who's providing kinship care can um, get reimbursed at the same rates that foster care families do. Because currently right now, if you go in, a foster family gets a larger reimbursement than a family who's providing kinship care for a kid, even though they're providing the same services. And so making sure that they get reimbursed equally is really important. And that's something that legislators from the 37th district have had um, sort of carried as a mantle. And I'd be very excited to continue that tradition if I'm elected to office. Thank you, Amaisha. Well, I first and foremost wanna say anybody that gets themselves in that predicament, you need to make sure you get connected to a peer support person. Because once you get into that situation, the clock starts ticking. Clock starts ticking for two years. If you do not get your child back, they could be up for adoption. And that's the last thing that you want to see. So get yourself with a peer support person. Very often, and I learned this from uh, a leader, Kimberly Mays, um, who shared her story with me about being addicted and losing her children and what happened in that process. And so she actually was the one who was innovative to get peer supporters to help families in similar situations. So I just wanted to give her her flowers for that. But once you do that, we first want to fight that system. Why did they do that? Because sometimes it don't make no sense. I've had really close friends. The doctor made the wrong decision. Baby got put into foster care. And next thing you know, they cutting off the baby's hair, gone from the family. Then they find out later they made a mistake. Well, the trauma has already been happened to that family and to that child. Don't always try to fight it. Try to learn the system and then take every class you could possibly take. Child care, parenting classes, don't wait for them to ask you to take the class. Go take it. Get yourself engaged. You want to show up prepared from the gate. There's already been Supreme Court cases, right? Because, again, being a descendant of stolen ones, they've been separating our families for years. We have fictive kin all the time. But the policies have been set up in a way that doesn't look at how our families move, but how other people's families move. So I just want to say, make sure you understand that the clock is ticking. Get yourself support immediately. 
do all you can. Every class, substitute class, safety class, a workshop, do everything. Show them how determined you are to be stay connected with your child. And then look out for the resources that are out there. The dad's program is a great resource for fathers, but also for women. And then I just want to share, of course, with kinship care. Oftentimes, once we fight enough to get our babies and keep our people in our community and connected to our families, kinship care is really a great resource. We want to make sure grandmothers in particular or family members get rested. So we got to figure out the way to make sure that they can be reimbursed or there's a policy where they feel safe to leave their child without all that overseeing. And then again, I do agree that you could tell at the policy, why would they pay somebody else to keep your child out your family rather than pay you the same thing? When we know that the data shows that when they're closest to their family, there's a better outcome and success for that child if they may not be with their biological parent. So we gotta look at that system and address that and call that out. And I will call that out regardless if I'm elected official or not, because we are human beings and we, we, we do well when we're with each other and particularly our families give us the cultural relevancy that we need. So. Thank you. Thank you both. Mm -hmm. We're going to take another question for a vocal watch member. What is your plan for policy change and people that are trying to uh, get into methadone clinics? Community members are impacted mm -hmm. with substance use, right? Um, impacted with not getting the access that they need to properly get that wraparound care. So, Maisha, what would you do in the areas of policy for that for community members? Again, I would go back to fixing our tax code and look at getting progressive revenue into our community. But I think that there's a great way to use our marijuana revenue towards uh, substance abuse issues. We need those clinics. We need treatment opportunities. We need the mental health investments. And so when those things are ripped away, then we're going to find people more traumatized and more people unhoused and more people making some decisions that are really dishonorable to them and dishonorable to our community. So we have to get the resources because um, there is a failed war on drugs out here, but we tried to correct it. Marijuana is now legal. So how can we use some of that revenue to address the communities who've been most harmed? That's what I would like to see. I know we have to um, create a policy. I would push and support that. But I also know that Vocal is very much a leader in that. You know, I had an opportunity to work with uh, Malika um, after the Blake decision. And we were, we were looking at on a state level, like how do we want to address uh, criminalizing possession or not criminalizing possession? At what level do we want to criminalize it? And how do we want to look at the state doing, the state wants to do an overhaul, which they did, that made a, a law for the, everybody in the state, but there's different jurisdictions who wanted to make certain policy uh, recommendations. So I would look to organizations uh, similar to VOCAL and other organizations, our public health departments um, who know how best to treat our residents who are, you know, dealing with untreated substance abuse. Thank you so much, mm -hmm. Francinette. Yeah, I think we definitely have to, it comes down to revenue, right? Like making sure that we have the money to support the services that we think are important. And one of the ways I would do this is through tying it to housing, right? Because there is a perception that all of our unhoused people have a mental uh, or not mental, a substance abuse issue. While that is part of the issue, it is not why everyone is unhoused. However, we can use that momentum to show that if we get people into treatment and into recovery, then that gets them on the way to sort of a more stable lifestyle and becoming housed. I think that will create a coalition um, that will allow us to fund these resources more. And so really understanding 
the different populations that we have in terms of what drugs are being used, what mental health um, supports need to be given, especially coming out of the pandemic, because as we have seen, um, there are increased mental health needs in adults, but also in kids. Like as kids are coming back to school, they're coming back socially delayed, but also with more um, anxiety and more mental health needs. And so couching the issue of, uh, of substance abuse in the larger sort of social issues that we're dealing with, I believe would allow us to get more revenue for these great clinics. Thank you both. I do. We do have people in the chat. Thank you very much for people in the chat. And it's funny someone brought up Malika Lamont because Malika, <laughs> Malika Lamont uh, wrote with 5476, the response to the Blake decision is set to sunset in mm -hmm. 2023. Mm -hmm. What would you do? What would you advocate for, for a path forward regarding simple possession, Chapalo? I mean, I think we should decriminalize uh, because the war on drugs is crazy. Like it was obviously just sort of racially motivated, especially as we see now that um, drug use has infiltrated the white community more with opioids it is now seen as opposed to a crime as an addiction, which is good because that is what it is. However, back in the 80s, it wasn't seen that way. And so obviously there are some racial undertones there or how crack versus cocaine was um, was sentenced, there's obviously racial undertones there as well. So what I would say is we should just decriminalize so that we don't punish the users. However, we can still go after the folks bringing drugs into our communities and creating violence and crime. Thank you. I would say similar, but when I think about the sunset, there's some, some multiple, multiple layers to that, right? There was already people being able to go back and get uh, convictions off of their record, right? But when you think about all the harm that trickled down from ever having it on your record, right? Losing jobs, losing housing, not being able to be with your children, losing your children to the foster care system. Those things need to be remedied in the process, not simply just going ahead and saying, we're not gonna criminalize it or we're gonna make it a misdemeanor. No, you need to do some restitution yourself back to the harm you caused on community so people, we can get thriving again um, so that we can um, correct some of the harms that were recreated. So basically, there's going to need to be a coalition for a conversation around that. A lot of legislators may not be thinking about this. There might be a handful, a couple of committees thinking about that, making decisions who aren't that close to the issue. They're not, you know, may not be in a 37 that is impacted as my family and my community has been. So making sure people are at the table, those with lived experience, those who've been incarcerated, um, those who are dealing with substance abuse and addiction, making sure that we hear from them so that we properly make a decision that will not cause an unintentional harm and cause more disproportionality and impacts on people of color. Yes, thank you both. Mm -hmm. um, I'll read the next question in the chat in just a second. We have one more video from a member of Vocal. We, we, that's it? Oh, that's all we had? Oh, I thought we had another one. <laughs> well, it's so funny because Vocal Washington's in the house. It's live in the yes, chat. Right, so. they live in the chat anyway. So what would Blowing you do? So, uh, right, so a part of our leadership team, Chris, shout out to Chris. What would you do to create pathways for low barrier employment opportunities for people experiencing behavioral health issues and or homelessness? Thanks, Chris. Can you repeat that question? Is it for me first? It, yes, yes, okay. it is. So what would you do to create pathways for low barrier employment opportunities for people experiencing homelessness and behavioral health issues? I think that we can create some low barrier pathways. Um, I think people who maybe in their community should be talking with folks that have similar situations and conditions. They should be able to be like peer support and get opportunities there. I think that we should have opportunities. I mean, a lot of community members 
are just concerned about how the streets are looking, how people are out there. We should pay more people to get out there and help people in similar conditions that they can relate to, hopefully in a way that doesn't trigger them or make them want to relapse by any means. But people who are closest to the issue are the best for the solutions. And then we should create opportunities that they, they might be low barrier to get in, but we should create opportunities for them to then move up. Because again, these type of roles or case management or whatever people want to call it, people should be able to be managers. They should be able to be directors. They should be able to be advisors, not just staying in low uh, barrier positions. But I think that that to me is a first route by being a support. I think being, uh, they could be mental health supports. They could just the socialization so people don't feel isolated or people can relate to them. Going to the housing complexes that are already created, right? For acuity folks who may have a substance abuse issue, might have a disability, whatever. There's these different factors that bring people into the housing, but they should be able to be there to make sure people are okay and checking on folks. Even if their people are outside in a tent, people should be able to be checked on. And I don't think we have enough of those. And from what I can tell, when they're doing sweeps and it's done in an inhumane way, there might be a worker out there trying to support people in those environments, but there's not enough people. And sometimes I don't think it's people who can relate to the condition in the first place. Otherwise it would be more humane. Right, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a great place for community. Um, I was just actually touring a organization called Peer Seattle, and this is exactly what they do. They take folks who have had um, substance abuse issues and work with them. So basically when you are ready to um, address the issue, they work with you and help you get jobs, um, help you work through your substance abuse issue. And everyone in that organization has lived experience and has had a substance abuse issue. So you already have a connection. You don't have to explain um, certain situations and there's no shame in your situation because you know that the other person that's helping you has gone through that. And so that can look like anything from just loaning them a suit so that they look presentable to get through an interview process, um, coaching them on self self-confidence because a lot of shame comes with substance abuse sometimes, um, or even working within that group. So everyone in that organization started off, say, at the front desk as a volunteer and then worked their way up into positions of management because you don't always necessarily need a master's or a PhD to, uh, to help other people and run an organization that lived experience that you get on a daily basis can do that. Yes. Can I quickly follow up too? Just, okay. I just want to say, and we we need to honor people in these roles, because oftentimes if you're at the school, it's the secretary, the custodian, they do the best work to maintain that space. And they may be in low level or low barrier positions, but they play such a critical role in making sure that environment is um, operating the way it needs to be. So when I think about low barrier positions or people in these circumstances, we need to honor that type of work because the average person don't want to do it. Thank you very much. Thank you both for that. So we're going to do something different. They didn't know that this was going to happen. But okay. when we come back, we're going to have them both in the hot seat. Someone's going to sit in my chair temporarily, and we're going to give them an opportunity to ask each other, <laughs> to ask each other the questions. <laughs> You're watching We Live in Color. Within sports, you learn so many life lessons that will help you be successful in any area that you plan to pursue. So I remember being a kid in Spokane and going to camps like this with my friends and just having a blast. And that's really when I fell in love with this game. Hopefully we're doing the same and inspiring some of these kids to keep going on this journey. Especially as a girl growing up, like you see you see a lot of boys at these camps, but like just seeing like more and more girls start at a younger age, it, it makes me happy. We had to have funding, right? We cannot do this work without the necessary resources available so that our kids can thrive. Without resources, 
we can't see kids play and play to their potential. How we can ensure that basketball in our communities is sustainable. Funding is a big part of it. I think working with the right groups and this was the opportunity I think that kickstarted that and we're really excited about any opportunities to just keep moving it forward. It was just an awesome opportunity to show what this community can do, what basketball energy they can bring. Being able to work with the Seattle Sports Commission, work with the King County Play Equity Coalition, uh, we were able to bring big basketball energy to Tequila Community Center and hopefully use this as a launching point and able to get more funding for them in the future. The kids get to see me, get to see, you know, all the rest of the guys who did it all in the area of Washington, Seattle area. So being able to give back to them and uh, let them know that, you know, they can chase their dreams too. This is a fundamental right of all kids that they have the right to play, which isn't always available to all of our kids in our communities. We got next to ensure kids always have a place to play, compete and have fun. I actually thought I wanted to keep sitting in my chair. So welcome back to We Live in Color. Yeah, I think it's like sometimes when we're working in the areas of community and I've watched so many candidates run, right? And just run and run and run, but not have a question to ask each other, right? So I just want to give you all an opportunity to ask each other a couple of questions. Um, so then community, hey, so you can get some of the answers that you want. Because either way, someone's going to end up uh, being uh, winning the race, but we're in this together. And I think it's better for us to get a better understanding on what common ground looks like. So, Maja, if you could ask Chapalo a question. Thank you. This is my opportunity because I live in the 37th, right? Yep. I'm hoping to be my own representative, but, you know, just in the event that I'm not, you know, I'm really curious, like, what are your thoughts around, mm, I would say health equity, well, not just your thoughts. Sure. I don't want to know your thoughts because I've been working with you and campaigning with you. But what has been your connection and community? Who have you engaged with commu um, community partnerships or what or what have you around health equity? So just in terms of health care and health equity in general? Well, it's more about your partnerships and, and engagement. You know, I've been um, in the 37th, you know, really locked arms with a lot of community members and organizations. And I'm curious, like, what has been your experience around health equity? Yeah, like... Thankfully for me, I've been very fortunate to have a job where healthcare comes as a benefit of that. Um, and so you realize that privilege and it becomes second nature. And so understanding that folks don't necessarily have it is really important to realize. And so for me, how do we get to a point where it doesn't matter how you're housed or whether you have a job or whether you have documentation status? So like Apple Care sounds great but I've had private healthcare through my job. What I'd like to get to is a point where we have healthcare for all, um, regardless of documentation status and regardless of your work status. So I've been fortunate not to have to deal with that. It's not been a area of my sort of deep expertise, like where I've done work with tech, um, but I do realize that for the privilege that I've had, and it's crazy to think that people don't have it, especially given the pandemic. I think that's sort of shown everyone why healthcare for an individual is healthcare for like public health. Thank you. So I guess my question is like, this was a relatively unexpected experience for both of us, right? Like we had KHC, we elected her last cycle. Everyone expected her to be here for quite some time. And so I know myself, I wasn't planning to do this. I assume you weren't planning to do this either. Like what has been one of the biggest surprises to you in this whole experience? I would say the biggest surprise with regard to running a campaign that it's less about the issue. It's more about people needing to know who you are. And I will say that um, I'm really proud of the relationships that I've built 
over the years of my advocacy because I think it really showed out in the primary. So it really goes to show that having lived experience of really being engaged is like that's part of transforming the systems and that the 37th really wants to see that. Um, so I've been having a great journey. It's been a beloved experience. Um, but I was thinking that, you know, being a new first time candidate, I didn't realize how much of the marketing was part of the of the run because I'm ready to just jump in and be all about the policy. And I'm really grateful for the experience, right? Because what I'm learning, I can be able to share with somebody um, who I can, you know, who's interested in doing it, who's looking at my courage and saying, I want to do this too. Um, yeah, that's really it. I mean, I've been amazingly surprised too when I think about status quo anyways, that oftentimes it is the education, it is where you work. But I realize that community, definitely the progressive endorsements that I've been receiving from um the Washington State Labor Council, Washington Conservation Voters, the Firefighters Union. I mean, a lot of progressive uh, pro-choice Washington, a lot of progressive organizations that say they also want to see change and they share my value. So um, just being a mom and just doing this kind of uh, locally and just having a passion for it, I've been surprisingly amazed at how much support I've been receiving. So yeah, thank you for that question. <laughs> So another question. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I guess I'll just, I'll, I'll just say for me, I'm very curious. I'm extremely curious and maybe I should let it go, yeah. but I am extremely curious why you keep saying TAF is in South Seattle when TAF Access Academy is in Kent and Federal Way. That's where they built the schools. So I've just been really curious about that. Um, and so I know enough about TAF because again, my daughter as a, as a fifth grader was at the first location in Columbia City, then it moved to Genesee. And so I'm aware just because I've been engaged with yeah. the organization for so many years and having you know relationships and partnerships there, I, I just am curious about that. Yeah, so when we talk about the communities that we serve, right? Like borders are artificially drawn, um, like we know. And just as we saw in this last cycle, like Renton used to be part of the 37th, now it's not. Um, that doesn't mean that our community isn't there, right? Like, and so when I've been doorbelling and hearing people like, oh, my kid went to Taft, like it was great. There are tons of people from our community in the 37th and outside the 37th that have gone to Taft. And so giving back to that community, to me, it doesn't matter, is it five miles this way or five miles this way on some side of a border that changes every 10 years. It is who are we helping? What are we teaching? Um, and like, who is that community that is coming to that table? And so for me, that is the community of South Seattle, regardless of whether it's in the 37th, like does the 11th count as South Seattle? Like it is right over the border. I would consider that also part of South Seattle, parts of the 11th as part of South Seattle, especially with Renton, because they just got redistricted out of the 37th. They don't necessarily count as South Seattle anymore. So to me, it's more of well, who is that community that TAF is helping? And then you look at the kids at TAF, like, you know, they are black and brown kids that represent the community that we both care about deeply. I appreciate you answering that question. I was just really curious. So thank you, because this was a surprise for both of us. Yeah, yeah. So what would be the first thing that you would do if you're elected mm -hmm. um, at, when you get into the state legislature? Because yeah, like what would be that first, what would be your first bill that you would want to pass? That's a great question. So currently being part of the Washington, I mean, the Housing Trust Fund Coalition, as well as the Housing Justice Coalition, I definitely want to 
push uh, legislation, a previous bill that's already been there, there's been some education around it that will level up from a local, like Seattle allows people to apply for housing if they have a criminal background. I would love to level up uh, legislation that would do that. And I think our state is ready and legislators have been educated and aware around that. Also the doula bill. So uh, Kirsten Harris Talley made that um, like a medical profession. So having the relationship with Surge and Reproductive Justice Northwest, making sure that we're pushing um, in the budget that those um, professions can be reimbursed. I mean, in addition to that, there's a gender-based violence coalition that I've been working with. So Rep. Jamila uh, Taylor, as well as uh, Representative Tara Simmons, I've been part of that coalition work to look at the language of what should be in there so that those who are um, not being criminalized when they need treatment from dealing with uh, partner violence. So I would love to push those as well. There's so many, but I think the ones that are raw and ready, there's education that's been present. Those would be the first ones that I want to move forward. So health equity, domestic violence supports. Um, or one of, uh, one of the others. Thank you. Y'all good? Uh -huh. <laughs> that was fun. I really like that. <laughs> um, and then I just got to be able to sit here and just watch, because I think that sometimes when we watch, when people watch these candidate races, right, that we as community members have to be combative or we have to be a touche. But, um, you know, it's both of you, you both have something to bring to the table. Um, and I think that that's really important for people to see always having a being able to be transparent with one another because sometimes other communities get it misconcepted. So, you know, there's a misconception when it comes to it. So I thank you for that. Um, we are going to take one more break, but when we come back, it'll be our community here um, with their call to action, as well as our, where we're, we live in color tribute. So I'm tongue tied. You are watching. We live in color. <laughs> Basically, fam, believe in giving. Like we have to be willing to give more. And people seem to always think giving means money. But nah, bro. It's like you can give time. You can give understanding. You can give access. You can give a listening ear and an open heart. You can give and share your God given gifts and talents. But you just got to give. It's it important. Is important. Here we are. So we are back. Look, Here. I'm standing up in Hi, everyone. You know what I just realized? Trey can sing, okay? Oh. I, like, like it just be coming out. Like we were literally just in break and she was just humming to the to the ballet that's coming here and we'll be talking about that later well you'll be talking about it tomorrow yeah yeah, yeah i'm excited can yeah. you tell the community about your show oh yeah so the, of course you can catch the day with trey uh monday through friday right here on converge media at 11 a.m i'm always bringing uh folks here to uplift amazing inspiring stories there's so many great people in our communities and beyond doing great things and so shout out to everybody for you know supporting the day with trey y'all can also catch me anywhere on instagram at Trey Holiday, T R A E Holiday. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah, she finally sure gave happens. her Instagram account, y'all. Yeah. Look, <laughs> well, we're proud of her. Well, you know, I'm so happy to have y'all here as guests, but as we are coming down to a close, we do something here called We Live in Color Tribute, right? Where we tribute someone who is either here or no longer here that helps us walk in our truth, that helps us live in our color. So I will start with Chapalo. Who would you like to tribute today? So I'll go with my grandmother for two reasons. What's her Number, name? Uh, Ruby Street. Okay. So for the first reason, because she's the first person who instilled the importance of education in me, I actually got to go to her uh, college graduation. Like she thought it was, she had to drop out of high school when she had my dad and aunt and uncle. And, but she still thought it was so important for her kids and her grandkids to see 
her graduate that she got a job as a janitor at Akron University and then worked through nights and weekends to become a college graduate. And so I was in junior high school. I saw that there was no question about whether I would go to college. And so she has had a huge impact in terms of my value of education. And then it's also specifically important here because she ran for local office. She wasn't successful, but just seeing that and knowing that that's something you could do was really important. Okay. Ruby Street, thank you very much. Well, Maisha, who would you like to tribute? Well, I always want, love to give honor to my grandparents, um, Millard and Florine, who raised um, nine children here in the Central District. And I want to tribute this to their youngest child, my Aunt Sharon. She passed away a couple of days ago. Beautiful person, beautiful spirit, talented in her singing, poured into me, helped raise me, picked me up from school, took me to Sewer Park. Sewer Park is one of my joyful places. So I just want to honor you, Auntie, today. And I know you're smiling at me and you're with my grandparents and you guys are all smiling down, but this is for you. My, my auntie dealt with a lot of the things that we are talking about today, a lot of the issues, and she triumphed. And I'm so proud of you, and I know you're so proud of me. Thank you. Wow. Thank you very much. Condolences to you. Yes, condolences to you. So thank you to Ruby. Thank you to Sharon. Trey? Uh, my goodness, for me, uh, when I think about all of the people that poured into me, it is a long list. But I will definitely say that uh, this uh, tribute goes out to my daddy. Uh, we lost my dad at the end of July this year. Uh, yes, I will. Michael Robinson. Uh, we lost him uh, just this year, uh, you know, with a, a heart issue. But I, I will say this. One of the things that um, he really instilled in me was you know, be the initiator, show initiative um, with things. And he used to talk about it in terms of tours, but I took, it on. <laughs> I took it on in so many other realms because it's so true in terms of being the first one to do something, you know, not waiting for other people to do it around you. And honestly, that has allowed me to create jobs for myself in institutions and in organizations and community because I may sometimes have to be the first one to do it. I'm like, there's a void here. I'm going to fill it. So, Daddy, I love you so much. My tribute goes out to you. Michael Robinson. Thank you. Big Mike. Good. I see this Big Mike. Okay. Yeah. So, Big Mike, Ruby, and Sharon, we appreciate you. Thank you for helping us live in color. And I'm so happy to be around this beautiful melanin and leadership here mm. tonight. Um, and, you know, come November 8th, it'll be going down, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really important, though, that we do this last call to action. So if y'all can do us a favor and just look in that camera right there and just let people know your why. What's your call to action, Amaita? My call to action is because community called me to do so. They've seen the work. They, they trust me and I've been vetted. And I do believe in our humanity. I do believe that we as community members uh, most marginalized in particular deserve to be thriving. Our children deserve a future where they can thrive and be healthy. And so I'm doing everything that I can for the generations that are to come. So that is my why. They're, the children are the wind behind my back. They give me hope. Thank you. Like we face some huge issues today. Like the house, the cost of housing has never been so high. Like impacts of climate change. We couldn't even breathe our air for the last month and a half um, and our kids are falling behind from the pandemic. The 
recovery from the pandemic hasn't been felt by all of us. And we need to make sure that everyone comes out of this better than they went into it. And so I have some unique experiences that I believe can help move this district forward. And I'm really passionate about making sure that we all come through this better. Well, that's the word, huh? There it that's is. That's the word. There it I is. I mean, we, we are here. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I just, one, I just want to make sure, can we put the just camera on us too? No. I want to thank very much for our guests coming in here. If you want more information, please look online. We'll put that in the chat. Um, in the meantime, I do want to thank my lovely guests, co-hosts. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I feel like we're usually hit and miss. Like we always catch each other <laughs> missing, right? But I've learned so much about you <laughs> within us just sitting in the back. And then also like, since you teach people how to lead, not by walking ahead, but also walking alongside with one another. And I appreciate you. I've always been in awe of the work that you've done since the Women's Commission. Yeah. And here you are. And you have so many people walking alongside of you. And I am very honored to do so. I'm honored to be here. And honestly, you know, thank you for this opportunity. As I said, this is a race that I paid attention to from as an observer. Hell yeah. um, and, Sorry. you know, on, <laughs> and honestly, I'm, I'm just really honored to be here and to, to see you blossom on Converge with We Live in Color has just been a, a huge treat to me. Uh, so thank you. This was awesome tonight. And, you know, again, thank you to Amaja and Chapalo for, you know, pouring yourselves into this race. We already know that it takes a lot to it run. Takes a lot. Um, uh -huh. It is. It's a lot on you both. So I'm just grateful for this entire night. And honestly, for all of y'all out there, y'all yes. be grateful that they were here to really share what they're standing on and what they would take if elected. Make sure you make an informed decision come November 8th. And keep in mind, there is an organization that Converge partners with called Build 206. They have Build the Vote, y'all. So for more information, go to Build 206 slash vote, and they'll give you more information we need to be out there. Because a lot of us, let's keep it real, some of us are back because it's not a presidential election, but these policies are coming up to change and we need to make sure we're putting leaders in there in that space. So then when we want to give some accountability, we got that right because guess what we did, sis? Yeah. We voted. That's right. You know? <laughs> so remember uh, next for, for, show, for the show next week, I'm going to do something a little different here with We Live in Color. I think that one of the things that happen, happens throughout our spaces is that we don't give people their flowers, but I have a friend, my best friend, Brenda Sanchez will be a guest on my show. It is, I am already, I'm already, I know this, that this is going to be the best show that I have. I think that one of the things that we don't talk about is giving black men access to be vulnerable, to be honest about their space and to give them their grace and their flowers while they're here. I can't wait because this is my best friend. His story is impactful. Without him, I would not be here. So next week, if anybody does anything next week, tune in so we live in color next week at eight o'clock. You don't want to miss this. And don't forget tomorrow, a day with Trey at 11. You've been watching. We live in color. Have a great night. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents.
Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.